0: It was only through running different media arts empowerment programs and working with folks who, you know, would be considered underserved mm-hmm. and underserved communities, watching people create first films and direct. And I went, wait a second, why aren't I directing?
1: Hi, I'm Natasha Tony, and you're listening to Narrative Shift. Today's guest is someone I'm excited to be working with. I learned more about Ella Cooper when I was invited to sit on the board of Black Women Film Canada. Ella is an award-winning filmmaker, currently focused on creating youth and children's entertainment with Brown Rabbit Studios, but her creative endeavors reach far past movies and TV. She's a photographer, one who captures motherhood, habitat, and her own inner reflections. She's an educator. Creating workshops for racialized women and youth across the industry. She takes an interest in contemporary dance, and ultimately, she makes space for those who have been historically left out of the creative industries people who look like her and me. Here's my conversation with Ella Hi, Ella welcome to narrative
0: shift thanks for having me hello hello
1: i'm hoping to learn a little bit about you and how your journey to leadership and community building has allowed for you to touch on identity belonging and healing
0: nice where do i start yeah Yeah. so my name is ella cooper i'm the founding director of black women film canada And I'm also a director, producer, mother, artist, international group, creative facilitator. I also run a production company called Brown Rabbit Studios.
1: Where did you grow up?
0: (laughs) So I grew up in Montreal and that definitely shaped me in different ways. But it was when I came to Toronto and also a special move I made to Vancouver later on that really shaped more of my like first foray into reflecting on identity and black identity and representation and dominant visual culture and all that good stuff. So when I came to Toronto to go to what was once Ryerson University, I didn't realize that it you know it would become my home. And over twenty years later it's still my number one base. But Montreal is in my heart and so is Vancouver.
1: That's great. I'm a West Coast kid so have been in Vancouver was born here most of my life, lived and then as a teenager actually went to Saskatchewan. Oh. And that, I think, was my big learning around identity and you know that urge to really fit in and need to find community. And I think just because there was just such a lack of community mm-hmm. and it's not lost on me, I think, that kind of always searching for community and always curious about that and how others had found that.
0: Well, what's interesting is I actually think that Community shifts as you age and as you evolve, right? So, like, you can have dear friends who knew you as a tiny person, but even those friendships aren't always community. Mm. They're family, they're deep connects. But when I actually moved to Vancouver for a couple of years, is when I found some of the most important community in my adulthood and in my evolution as an artist for social change and all that kind of stuff. And it was my time there that inspired just like even the founding of Black Women Film Canada, like in a strange way, you know, the fact that Vancouver has what, like 3% black community. You're
1: exaggerating.
0: <laughs> it it was what inspired so much of my work mm-hmm. and it wouldn't have happened had I tried to do that work in Toronto initially. It had me reflect, you know, as we talk about finding community, that as we evolve, as we enter parenthood, as we discover new forms of leadership or interest in identity, you keep on searching for that community.
1: I think so, and I think that there is this piece for me probably in these last three and a half years of watching the Canadian landscape around storytelling open up so that there's funding for Black Women Film Canada, Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. uh, funding for Black Screen Office, Racial Equity Screen Office, and I'm just watching where, you know, for me, I think I was having these conversations through a labor relations lens, I was on the ground, you know, supporting folks who were experiencing exclusion, but in a different way, working in American film and TV. But to be able to kind of look back even for myself, and I'm always curious now at 53, I wonder if I would have been making films, which is what I had wanted to do back in the early 90s, if there were more opportunities that there are today. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so that excites me. I think that there's a little bit of sadness and nostalgia around other paths I could have taken. And then from that, I think that also propels me to be involved and to do this work and to really sit with creators and understand that there probably will be opportunities to to create as well. One is never too old, if you will.
0: Well, I actually, just quickly speaking to that, mm-hmm. I would say the same thing. Like when I went into the industry many years ago, I didn't see a place yeah. for me. And it, there definitely wasn't. And there wasn't any programs like this whatsoever. And I actually chose a different path because of that. And it was only through running different media arts empowerment programs and working with folks who, you know, would be considered underserved Mm -hmm. and underserved communities. And just the joy that I got in doing that, but also watching people create works and create first films and direct. And I went, wait a second, why aren't I directing? And whenever I have a moment of like, oh, I'm I'm too old to do a thing... I just keep on coming back to Ava Davernay, you know, who started in her 30s mm-hmm. and how so many black women don't really find their voice and find their sense of like, oh, I got this and I can lead this till their 30s and even 40s. But they just kind of hide the age thing for a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it, you know, it's so funny because
1: I talk about bias all the time in these trainings. And so there's also that internalized mm-hmm. piece of it that in shifting and changing careers and just the inspiration I have in being a part of Black Women Film Canada, looking at everybody on the screen and just going, oh, yes, this is something that I think getting the email and being invited on, it's like, ah, here's community and something so, Mm. so hungry for. What resonated for me in you sharing that there was something healing about coming together to be in community. So, whether you liken that to family and coming together around the table, sharing food, the storytelling, laughing, all of these pieces that come in, mm-hmm. that really resonates for me, too. You know, one of my goals, and I share it with a few people, well, now everybody, uh, but my next phase is to be able. To create a space, a home, but also a retreat so that people can come and be there and do the creation, be in community. But that is something that fills my soul, like you wouldn't believe, is just to build the space. I don't have to lead it, but to create a space and an atmosphere for people to celebrate and to innovate. And I think that piece of healing is something that I've always desire and enjoy. But also, I think it's really important to be able to build that. So what you share around community is something that is very close to me. And that human experience, I think, of being a part of a human experience and creating that feels really important.
0: I think in many ways, I was inspired by really awesome, well-facilitated programs as well. You know, when I would go through a workshop that was just designed so beautifully or with such intention I was inspired and I wanted to be able to do that Mm -hmm. and then also like I went through traditional film school I remember that boys club I remember being on the periphery and doing my own work but not really being celebrated or encouraged Mm -hmm. and I love gear I worked in like the gear shop for the school called the cage and like I loved filming and I love filming with actual film, like 60 millimeter splicing it by hand, all that good stuff. And I think about how so many programs and communities support each other well, but if you don't break into that kind of club of the industry, you don't, you just don't know where your ins are. Mm-hmm. That first start, it was great because it didn't go well. So it inspired me to go, Hey, What's missing here, you know? And I've always kind of been that person where if I see a thing that's missing that I know I can create, then I want to create it. As I dove into like anti oppressive frameworks and uh, facilitation work and education and all that kind of stuff, I realized I'm not really someone who fits within the system. I don't like sy- certain systems and I find them oppressive. And I wanted to create spaces that were more inclusive, that have reverence for Indigenous communities, have reverence for all bodies, you know, and non-binary, trans, women-identified folks and our allies. I met some incredible facilitators, which was what brought me to Vancouver, from like Partners for Youth Empowerment, Nadia Cheney, Rup Sidhu, Vanessa Richards, Kari Wendell and Osara Kendall. And I saw them in action and I was just like, that's what I want to do. I want to use creativity. I want to use this convening of people to bring us together, to challenge us, but also to heal and to make change. And I would be invited to guest teach or guest facilitate for different programs or different film programs, but no one was doing it in a way that was holistic And no one was offering anything that was for Black women specifically. And that created a really safe space for us. So that became something that I was inspired to create over time. Thank
1: you. It can be in documenting the human experience, I think also very powerful and personal in your storytelling. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you mentioned that you're a mother. I too am a mother. (laughs) There's about... 30-year age difference between our mothering. I was 19 and I turned 20 when I had Keisha.
0: Oh, wow. And
1: so Keisha will be 33 this year.
0: Amazing. And Mm
1: -hmm. I really like her. We also work together. We live two doors down from each other. And there's a, a real beautiful relationship. And being a young person, having a child who I solo parented for most of those years. It's just this really beautiful personal experience. And you explored mother body erasure. Yes, yeah. It feels very personal and moved me even as a mom of an older kid. And so I'm yeah. curious about that for you.
0: So the quick backstory on that I is that I, I'm really good at Convening people, bringing folks together, writing the grant, and doing things in service to community. I I had a beautiful pregnancy. I call myself a solo mom by choice for a variety of reasons I won't get into right now. But I knew that I was essentially doing it on my own, and I was really up for the journey. I've lived a good life, and I was ready to, you know, bring a little person into the world. And then. For those people who've had kids, it's pretty life changing and it's pretty epic on the like the I don't want to say the number it does on your body, but it's more it's such a huge rite of passage. You give over so much of yourself to this child and then to also do it alone. And so in my mind, I was really proud that I was still able to continued to consider the community and how I wanted to support them, even in like the first few months of childhood and of uh, my daughter's childhood. Mm-hmm. And someone said, Oh, that's great that you're writing. You're able to write a grant, but what about you? You know? And I was like, what do you mean? What about me? Like, I can't possibly. And then I realized even as a mother, even with like milk stains all over <laughs> me, <laughs> I'm, I'm, this conversation matters, you know, Mm -hmm. this struggle matters, this beauty, this everything. And what this friend knew is that just before giving birth, I'd set up a camera in my home to take portraits throughout that first phase. It was this opportunity to still center the, the fact that I am a photo video artist, that I can bring this first phase of mothering into my practice. And that it's worthwhile. And then from that, it led into me working with BIPOC mothers around uh, with this series on mother body erasure. And I have a thing with like the three word title, because I've also done something called Bodyland Identity. So my work has already been around the body, you Mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. but this one was, can we take a portrait that isn't beautiful? You know, we're always cleaning ourselves up and posing for the camera, but even if it's slightly performative, can we play into the split of motherhood? And so you'll see that in the images of these moms who are standing with their child and their child might be pulling them one way. And I was working with um, slow exposure so that parts of them are blurred, whether it's their body or their face. Like there's an aspect of ourselves that does get erased in that first phase and an aspect of our labor, which goes unseen. And I know that is the case for folks who are parents and caregivers. In exchange, I also did a portrait of each mom with their child that was just them happy together, Mm. you know? So there was, like, this juxtaposition of these images. And I also, just before COVID, was invited into different homes where I did a series of nude photos of women. Once again, from the nudes that I do, they're non-sexual, but they're from a place of, like, that person getting to be fully in their skin. So these nude images in their home, you know, the disarray, but this, you know, and the beauty of it all. It was a way of bringing up conversations of postpartum, of community and mother body erasure and identity. Thank you for that work.
1: (laughs) That healing piece to me is so deeply woven in and rooted in your storytelling. And it's beautiful. I think that there's an opportunity to see oneself in the work and you're able to do that. And as a viewer, I mean, I'm able to do that. That's really evident in that piece that you made. It's called Witness. Yep. And it's a set of photos where you are in all of these beautiful transformative states. Mm-hmm. And the grief that I witnessed in looking at that really called me. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about your work and you on display in this way?
0: Sure, yeah. It Well, it's interesting. Um, so I have a mindfulness practice and I have a what you might call an embodied practice. So whenever I can, I say that because I'm less like, oh, I wish I could get to it more. Mm-hmm. And so in these embodied and mindfulness practices and movement practices, I use them as a way of facilitating people and facilitating groups, but it's also been a way of healing and moving through things through the body. And so when I um was introduced to a really beautiful creative Japanese modality called Butoh, mm-hmm. which even though it came out of the atrocities of Hiroshima and it was a way of that community to process that, it's now become more of a way in which to experience life and to experience no self. And what does that have to do with anything? It's basically, I was in Berlin and I was processing a lot, processing, Personal things in my own life, processing my own identity, reflecting on the way in which you know the war that happened there, and there's like plaques in on the ground that to remind you of who was there, who was erased, and and then my own background as someone who's black, but also someone who's Jewish, and different splits that were coming up for me during that time, and I was taking Butoh with different folks in Berlin, and in that process. It allows you to kind of get yourself out of the way and perform something else. But what's funny is that I wasn't doing it to perform, but I take a lot of these practices, move them through my body, and then maybe that's what I'll invite as a director, or that's what I might invite when I'm working with someone in the camera. So you would see that in mother body erasure, like how are these women acting so well like we do, kind of movement work. So for myself, I would always walk past these old vintage photo booths that would spit out black and white photos and they would still be wet because the process inside was actual black and white printing, which was so cool. You'd have to like dry it with your hand. And after a Butoh class where I was just feeling particularly in touch with my feelings, but also not in my own way at the same way. So there wasn't like a story. I thought, oh, I'm going to use this a photo booth like a kind of confessional or something and that I'm not Christian so i had never been in confessional it's just but you've
1: seen it on tv
0: yeah, yeah. I know I've seen it on tv okay <laughs> it's interesting because it was so different from other work that I do because I'm often so much about like promote the happy but the shift for me and my art practice was I had started from this place of representation of the black female body in western visual culture and that there was a lack of representation of nudes that were created by and for Black women and not from a sexual place, but from a place of, I call it radical joy or radical self-acceptance. But as I went through this process of exploring that, I was like, well, what does it mean to be naked on the emotional standpoint, like to show aspects of yourself in that way? And so, yeah, Berlin and the residency I did there brought out a whole other thing that I wasn't expecting. And that's where that series came from. But I just became interested in the... I mean, if we go back to healing, there's something in the accepting and the allowing of process and work something through, you know. And then from there, because the series went up during the pandemic and it was actually in a window gallery Mm -hmm. so people could see it from the street at a time when they were stuck behind their own windows it had a whole other layer of meaning for folks walking by the window. Where do you find inspiration? Places I find inspiration are often the places that surprise me and sometimes take me the longest to get to unless it's in my routine. Mm -hmm. So a place that I'm always inspired by is going for walks in nature which thanks to my dog, I get to do every day. And I just notice like a huge shift of awareness when I'm in natural spaces. I'm really inspired by like anti-oppressive models that don't even necessarily call themselves anti-oppressive, but they're mindful and intentional in such a way that you're like, oh, I can be here. And I'm inspired by people who, some folks who have even gone through our program and from that realize, oh, I can create the crew I want to be a part of, you know, like, What you don't have to work 14 hour days, like you actually have a choice. And I'm also inspired by organizations who remember to pay childcare and not $50 that they left lying around, but like literally have centered the experience of all people Mm -hmm. and try to actually make space for them. So, but then I'm also inspired by my five year old, and she inspires me so much that I've gone like done a big leap into children's programming because it's one of my happy places and someone who did this human design reading on me went said you are the person who wants to be paid to play and I was like 100% and for me paid to play is like program design it's directing kids it's drawing it's coming up with fun, creative ideas. But yeah, I was like, pay to play. Let's do this.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm smiling because I can name probably four or five friends in my neighbors that are probably 10, 11, even eight years old. There's dogs in common, but that there's this real friendship that I have with these young people in mm-hmm. my community that really mean actually a, a ton to me in our daily interaction and just the way that they show up and ask me questions and invite me to hang out. And it, so that is really lovely mm-hmm. that the programming is happening and children's programming. <laughs> Talk about black women film and how
0: did black women film Canada start? Sure. So black women film started in realizing that there was a gap, realizing that while I could always find a program for black youth to make our first film or to do some really great reflective work through video creation. I couldn't find a professional level program for black women. And because of the research I had done doing my master's in Vancouver, I was just getting so inspired working with groups of intergenerational black women that I knew There was something to it and that I wanted to create at the very least a leadership program, like a professional high level program. And I set it up so that I was just like, okay, I will only do this if I get funding and I will only do this if I get major players on board to open their doors, let us in, use their space, that kind of thing. So I got CBC, NFB, CFC, Nia Center was an initial support and some oh and advice and a bunch of industry folks who said we're not giving you any money but we'll give you space we'll give you people we'll give you access and I got initial funds I think from the Ontario Arts Council and of course never enough but enough to go okay let's do this so from there we started a leadership program and a really special gathering that brought together forty black women from across the industry. And that photo went out on a, with a press release and people were shocked to see that there was even 40 black women in the industry, like all of us standing together with Martha Oliveira and Jennifer Holness and Don Wilkinson and Gaddy Conte-George and Alison Duke and like a lot of people who are Toronto-based who are known for their work. But then next to them were younger and or up and coming counterparts who like people had no clue existed. And and it was, you know, we were on Metro morning and everyone was just like, wow, who knew, you know, and I was thinking, come on, <laughs> there's more than just 40. But it was such a beautiful program because I was able to integrate some of that holistic facilitation with masterclass workshops And then the next year we got TIFF involved and Cameron Bailey was a huge champion for the program. And so we sent 15 people through TIFF as well as doing the leadership program. And we've continued now, like now we have a wonderful partnership with TIFF and every year we can send 15 people through the festival free of charge. And this is key because a lot of festivals will always try to get something from you. And I always appreciated the way that TIFF always made space for us. And this was seven years ago. So the, seven years ago, there was a real lack in the landscape. And so there was a lot of attention initially and excitement around it. And then bit by bit, I just started to build programs. So, And not programs that you could already find out there. I really tried to create programs that didn't exist or weren't a focus for Black women. And so through that Things developed and now we have multiple programs that run throughout the year. We support the development of producers through a three-month Big Up Producers Residency where they're given a stipend 24-7, co-work space, tailored mentorship, and development funds to work on a project and then pitched industry professionals at the end. We have an advanced cinematography program that our last one, we worked with Netflix, William F. White's, and a Higher Higher to give up-and-coming cinematographers the opportunity to actually be in a really, you know, expensive, high-level uh, studio space with a full crew. Like I'm talking, you got the full crew so you can actually feel like what it's like to be a DP. We try to really level up our programs and continue to build the funding that comes our way, but... Another example would be our Mothering in the Industry Symposium, where we created a small residency for mothers who work in the industry and had a symposium around it, but also separate to a whole bunch of people talking and giving their opinions on mothers in the industry, which is like often preaching to the converted. We took the group of mothers and we created a kind of special online residency for them during the height of the pandemic because as we know, they were some of the folks who were tackling with a lot during that time and brought in folks like to be young, and need to Africa and some really wonderful facilitators to just hold space. And the feedback that we got from them was that reminder that their voice mattered, that their work mattered, that they, sh- you know, like, yes, keep on and but also change the environment so that there is actually space for you and the way you live like the fact that you have a kid and needs and childcare is a thing is not a problem mm-hmm. It needs to be centered i know i'm just at the beginning of my journey with black women
1: film in canada but this is something that in everything that you share and bringing together and that empowerment piece i think is something that is so deeply rooted in my own identity and giving back, but also it is that loop, that circle that you talk about that empowering others also fills one up to continue to empower and be empowered. I see all of those programs and what you have built collectively as well is bringing amazing people together to do amazing work in that storytelling. And I I think one of my last questions for you, Ella, is... That sense of belonging, and we're talking about healing, those words of encouragement that can empower people who are in search of community. You know, I imagine storytellers emerging, storytellers listening and finding out about Black Women Film Canada for the first time, and that inspiration to find out more. But also, I think that there's an impact around not belonging, and sometimes we feel as storytellers that, you know, am I in the right place? How do I keep going? Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if some empowering words for our listeners who need to find community
0: and need to find sometimes that spark to keep going. Yeah, it makes me think of two things. I recently opened for Margaret Atwood, which was very humbling to meet someone who believes in her voice, has written many books she talked about how sometimes we write from a place of thinking that we're going to be tested, like we're writing a report card, you know, like a thing that's going to be graded. We're writing that book report. Mm -hmm. And she talked about how writing, when you first sit down to write a story, it's just for you. It's not for anyone else. And it made me reflect that onto any kind of creative moment. Like anytime I second so guess myself or right, I'm like, why would I want to do this movement work? Like that isn't like, that's not going to get the grant written. That's not going to, no, nah, no, nah, no, nah, no, nah. Like these, how do these things possibly go together? But if you, rather than questioning, allow yourself to be moved by, for some reason I want to create this for some reason I need to draw right now, but I don't care if you're, you work in sound, if you're being called to, Move in that way, or created that way. There's a reason, but you don't need to know why. And that there is something to be learned from children always because they're just leaning into the joy of creation and exploration all the time. And no one stops them and goes, "Well, how are you going to sell that?" You know, like no one's like, "That's not paying the bills." You know, they're like, "Sweet, please keep on playing." But we do it to ourselves all the time, and we want everything to be perfect immediately. But the reality is, is like, when you keep on showing up for yourself and your creative voice, something emerges, and it's rarely exactly what you thought it was going to be. But if you let it show you what it wants to be, really exciting things happen. And then, hey, maybe then you're writing a grant, you know, but I, when I set up that camera in my home and it was just pointed at one of the walls of my living room and I would stand in front of it and let myself be photographed, I didn't know where I was going, but I didn't question it. I just let it be, you know, that is the piece I have to say when it comes to like honoring your creative voice, that it always starts with you and it's not about what others think or care. Like it's not, it's just not about their approval, but when it comes to finding community, I know that for many people, and Black women especially, we're really good at pretending to hold it all together and acting as though we are the only ones who can do the thing. And even if we need help, it's more awkward to ask for help so that we don't. And often a lot of folks will find a million excuses not to show up to the community thing they crave, because how could they possibly? like. Their child needs them, their work needs them, there, you know, and let me tell you, I know this because I do it. But I do know that community needs you just as much as you need it. That community you crave requires your presence. And when you drop into that, you add to it. And like that's what's the most exciting thing is that you can show up as you in any form, even if you believe that you're supposed to be other. Whatever you bring in that moment, like enriches the community in some way. And it allows them to show up for you. And it's an honor, like it's an honor to be asked and called in. Ella
1: Cooper, really appreciate this time to get to know you and to be a part of community. Really appreciate your time today.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: That was a conversation with Ella Cooper filmmaker, photographer, and executive founder and director of Black Women Film Canada. If you want to learn more about Ella or Black Women Film Canada, check out our show notes for links. On the next episode of Narrative Shift, we sit down with writer and showrunner Floyd Kane. Floyd's career path hasn't been a straight one. He tells us how he got from working in entertainment law all the way to creating a legal TV drama. Even when I was a lawyer, I would go to work. I'd work from like 7.30 in the morning until 7 at night, come home and have like dinner with my partner. And then I would write until 3 in the morning. Thanks for listening to Narrative Shift. This is a series produced by me, the Elevate team, and Max Collins. I'm your host, Natasha Tony. Be well, and we'll see you next time.